Is this Tony Shalhoub's greatest role? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's a great question. Tony Shalhoub has held a lot of great roles. You know, the show Monk, yep. incredible. Also, I, that's on my list. I, I loved his character as a kid in Men in Black, the guy who can regrow his head. <laughs> I don't know what his character's name is, what his alien race is, but, you know, the guy who can regrow his head, great character. Um, but this, honestly, he is a star in this movie. And I, I, I'd say that he's got a strong case for this being uh, his best role. It's definitely, I think, at the top for me because it's one of the only roles I know of him, <laughs> aside from <laughs> Monk, uh, which I've never watched an episode. What? I don't even know what it's about. Is he a monk? He's... <laughs> Can you imagine the Thermians come to Earth and they're like, yeah, we saw the commercial for Monk. Is it about monks or something? <laughs> no, Monk is about <laughs> a detective named Adrian Monk. <laughs> We should just title this episode Galaxy Quest slash Monk. <laughs> yeah, where you just tell me everything about the show, Monk. <laughs> Welcome to Psi Minus Phi, a movie club for science nerds and science club for movie nerds. I'm your host, Nathan Yim. And I'm Christopher Stern. We like to talk about all things sci-fi. Every episode, we explore a new science fiction movie and get into a discussion about the concepts present in the film. Before we start, we'll give a quick kind of spoiler alert um, for the movie. I mean, we'll be talking about Galaxy Quest this week. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, feel free to watch it before kind of joining us in our podcast today. All right, let's, uh, let's get it started. So can you tell me, Chris, what is galaxy quest about galaxy quest is this 1999 film uh starring tim allen sigourney weaver alan rickman tony shalhoub daryl mitchell sam rockwell and justin long it follows the adventures of the cast of a once famous space exploration show called galaxy quest much like our own star trek and uh this cast is now relegated to kind of small gigs at conventions and business openings where they mostly sign autographs for money and they're kind of all bored with, with that and kind of hating each other, uh, except for Tim Allen, who's kind of just basks in his former glory. Yeah, and he's kind of like the the Captain Kirk, William Shatner kind of character, full of charisma. You know, he loves his job. He loves his role. And, you know, you said it's much like Star Trek, and it's very intentionally like Star Trek. Like, they have characters that, that mirror characters in the Star Trek universe. For example, uh, Sam Rockwell's character... I think his his name is just Guy, and he played like Crewman Number Six in Episode Eighty One, and he's like essentially the the equivalent of like a red shirt from uh, the original Star Trek series. Exactly, and so yeah, I won't really use too many names in this because like they have both their character name and their actor name, um, which makes it hard to follow. But I guess I can name Tim Allen as Commander Taggart uh, on the show. Um, the actor is Jason Nesbitt, but I don't know if that matters so much. Um, so one day, a group of Thermians, uh, kind of aliens, approach Jason Nesbitt, um, asking him to help negotiate with the evil Ceres who wants to wipe out their people. Um, and Jason Nesbitt just kind of thinks this is another gig for, for him. Um, he's like, sure, I'll take the job. Uh, and then he's kind of brought to the alien's ship. 
and realizes like, oh, this is actually like a real alien society. And not only that, they've modeled their society after what they've seen in our show, believing that the show is like a set of historical documents from Earth. And so Jason being super excited is like goes back to his castmates and tells them about it. And like, oh, you guys got to come see this and um, join the gig and stuff. And they all go up together. But once they are all up in space, they realize that Ceres is actually a real danger and basically wants everyone dead, uh, the Thermians and this crew. So the cast kind of takes on their crew personas uh, from the show and fake their way um, to try to defeat Ceres while being able to get back to Earth in the end um, and not kind of allow the Thermians to know what they're doing. That's a, it's a good summary. Um, this movie also is like a really funny movie. <laughs> like, um, and, you know, you could probably already gather that just from the fact that it's a bunch of bumbling actors who are pretending to be real, uh, a real space crew. But it's honestly like, I feel like it's written so well and like almost every every minute or every line of dialogue is well used to either forward the plot or to to actually make a, a funny comment or, mm -hmm. or, or or something yeah there are a ton of great jokes in this movie um just making fun of either star trek making fun of like the characters themselves uh making fun of the situation yeah they cover making it all fun of oh sorry uh, well I, I was just gonna say also justin long's character he plays like this nerdy kid who's really into galaxy quest and He's like essentially a Trekkie kid. And so they kind of make fun of him as well and all of his friends, but in a really endearing way as well. And uh, I, I love it. It's also, can I just say that this cast is incredible? It's like a lot of heavy hitters. I don't know if all of the actors uh, on this list were like huge before. Obviously, Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman were big, but also like Sam Rockwell, uh, Justin Long, and Rain Wilson was in this. I, I think this was like maybe his first a movie appearance or a movie role yeah i mean before his fame from the office yeah obviously so um yeah he kind of got started there justin long it's one of his kind of first films um our initial roles sam rockwell as well right now i guess you could call him oscar winning sam Ro sam rockwell yes. yeah um, and then uh yeah even like so tim allen i guess he was big at the time right he had home improvement all that yeah the santa claus yeah true I guess it's that time of year too. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Um, she didn't. She had done Alien and everything, so kind of coming back to sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, and then I like Alan Rickman's character because like he kind of plays himself to some degree as an actor, right? Like he was <laughs> yeah. more of a Shakespearean uh, theater actor, and that's kind of brought into his role where he's like this serious actor. Um, and is that also making fun of Leonard Nimoy? Like was. Nimoy wanting to be a theater actor, like more serious than um, the others. It's a it's a really good question because yeah, um, Alan Rickman's character Doctor Lazarus is like the Spock equivalent in this. But you know, I, I think that it might actually be more of a callback to Patrick Stewart, since I know Patrick Stewart. Um, he he performed in theater before, and he actually thought that Star Trek was going to be a bust, and uh, did not plan on staying. I think for like over a year or two as Captain Picard, but. You know, that ended up being the, the most, uh, arguably the most defining role of his career. It's interesting how that happens, too, because, like, I just watched uh, on a plane ride the Friends reunion special. Oh, yeah. And I guess um, David Schwimmer, uh, he had left TV for a bit to work in the theater in Chicago or something. And he was just planning to do that for the rest of his career because he didn't like TV um, until 
the writer friends or writers of friends kind of went to him and they were like, we really want you to be in our show. Like we wrote it, this character Ross for you. And then he like, he was like, okay, sure. I'll join. And, um, ends up becoming, yeah, his career defining role where like, you cannot really think of David Schwimmer and anything else uh, without thinking of yeah. Ross first. And you, you can't think of the character played by anyone else either. Yeah. If, if it doesn't mirror, I guess, Nimoy specifically, it certainly mirrors some actors, um, yeah. in their careers. It's funny how that works out. Mm-hmm. And then David Schwimmer went on to do Band of Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Another great show. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alan Rickman went on to do, uh, I guess, Harry Potter. Yes, this is 1999. What, what year was the first Harry Potter? Was it 2001, I think? That that feels about right. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I love the way he talks. <laughs> and also the scene when Tim Allen's trying to convince him to to go back and sign the autographs but he wants to go home and then he's like there's nothing you can do to convince me and tim allen says the show must go on <laughs> and he responds damn you <laughs> he goes back in like <laughs> so yeah the good. seriousness of his or how seriously he takes his acting career is just so funny um and yeah again like the scene where tim allen's fighting the giant rock and everyone's trying to give him like different advice based off of like their own experience, I guess. And yeah. when it comes to Dr. Lazarus, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, oh, first you have to like find his motivation. <laughs> like just whatever he does for acting. And it's just a giant rock monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doesn't have a motivation. Oh, so good. Not to mention also his costume is just so funny in it. He's like, he's got the whole makeup over his head. So it's it's like clearly the most complicated to put on. So he's got to put in the most hours to do his makeup and his costume. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> everyone else is just themselves. Yeah. And he's also, yeah, he's the only like alien on the in the show, like on the cast. And so when the Thermians try feeding them all food from their <laughs> native land, he gets like a bunch of bugs or something and like worms. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Uh, it is. So what uh, kind of overall, I, I know we've been kind of talking about how great this movie is, but was there anything in particular, I guess, at a high level that really stood out to you um, versus kind of the other stuff in this one? One thing that I do appreciate, and this is, I think, influenced by the documentary I watched, Never Surrender, which is yep. about Galaxy Quest. And they talk about how much like Galaxy Quest kind of supports the fans, right? The fans and help kind of save the day in the movie um and yeah i think there is kind of a bit of love of fandom that uh galaxy quest has where yeah it's saying like these fans are important the audience is important Um, yeah and they do have i guess some role to play so you could kind of look at it and say like oh yeah the fans who kind of get the snyder cut made or uh, i think star trek even went off the air a few times or like was threatened to be canceled but the fans kind of came out and like wrote and tried to get it made and like continue on so there is a bit of like kind of the good side of fandom where they they are able to kind of keep things going and yeah no that's a great point and it it's something i hadn't really considered but i i think it is big when i guess a movie or um or like a, a producer actually it, it respects the fans and respects the fan base because i think sometimes you see um a production essentially just see the fans as numbers or like a way to to boost sales and you know just kind of i don't want to say using them because like obviously people go to to watch movies for different reasons but um it it really feels like it it makes a difference and it makes it more i guess personal in that sense well yeah like even the actors at the start right they sort of just 
sign the autographs and don't care at all about these people who obviously love the show and do they love it maybe too deeply or uh, take right. it too seriously in some cases like Justin Long who right they're arguing over things about the show that like the actors probably don't really know anything about or like yeah. have a, they don't have a choice in like um, saying the schematics of the ship and what makes sense or doesn't make sense but at the same time like yeah the fans are going to create something like even bigger than the show itself um, yeah. that everyone can enjoy I guess and take part in and yeah I think there is some like merit to that yeah how about you? What uh, what kind of things did you like about the movie? I think uh, just it, it felt uh, like we talked about before. It felt really well cast. Like uh, the cast was well rounded. I think every character or every actor played their part really well. And it's kind of a hard role to play as well as as meta as it is. Um, I think uh, you know I thought the writing was really tight as well. the The pacing was pretty good. You know, I I feel like. Um, all the beats kind of hit at the right time in this movie. Um, yeah, there's, you know, I, I'm also a fan of Star Trek and I grew up watching Star Trek. So seeing all the kind of different callbacks um, or and parallels between this and, and Star Trek was, you know, I, you could tell that it was done from a place of love and from a place of true understanding of that culture, which, you know, I thought was really impressive. So as like a Star Trek fan, um, or since you're a Star Trek fan, maybe I can ask you, do you consider this kind of a Star Trek film kind of quote unquote? I think some people I've heard do where it's like, oh, is this sort of um, not unwritten. Like unofficial? Yeah, un like an unofficial Star Trek film. Um, do you kind of put it in that camp or is it totally separate in your mind? Well, I, I guess it's hard to define because there's probably so many different ways that you could define what what it means to be a Star Trek film. I think, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. If I were to do a, a Star Trek movie marathon, um, and watch like all of them i'd probably throw this one in there as well okay i think yeah that's probably pretty definitive yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitive we aren't gonna say which way it defines this but it's definitive <laughs> <laughs> also really random on the casting one thing that i noticed this time through which i'd never picked up on before is justin long's mom in this movie is played by uh, heidi swedberg who is hmm. um, Susan from Seinfeld, George's <laughs> wife, oh. or, or fiancés, rather. Yeah, the one who dies. Yeah. <laughs> from looking too many stamps, is it, or envelopes? Yeah, envelopes, like the old cheap envelopes that George picked out because <laughs> they have, like, toxic glue. Yeah, she, she is, okay. I didn't realize that either. Also, Kevin McDonald from Kids in the Hall is in it, like, at the very end as uh like the announcer at the convention that they crash into there's like even amongst the the main cast there's all these other people who pop in for a second yeah yeah they just had a great great crew on that yeah great crew i like good choice of words is there anything else uh maybe about the movie you want to talk about yeah i, I wanted to maybe dig into maybe what the themes uh were, were present in this movie because i Maybe it's just because it's been a while since we've done uh, one of these podcasts, but you know, I was trying to, to 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 identify them like in a really clean way, and I couldn't really land on like one or two that like. So, so I'll give you my short list. Okay. One was like kind of just um, around finding meaning in your life. You know, I think uh, for a lot of these actors, you know, they felt really washed up, and uh, they were just kind of doing this thing for. Um, for money or for extending their career but you know when they found that purpose to serve the 
the Thermians, you know, they all kind of come out of this movie, um, I feel like, with a renewed sense of self. Um, and so maybe that's one. And then another one was around, like, maybe related to this, but living up to expectations or uh, expectations that are set on you. Um, kind of uh, along a similar vein, you know, uh, the Thermians expect them to be leaders and, and to be heroes, but they really aren't uh, until they are. Um, the fans expect them to be a certain way. Um, you know, they expect certain things from each other. Um, but, you know, maybe something there. And then the last one, not really a theme, but just like lying about your qualifications. <laughs> I couldn't think of a good way to put that. But um, I feel like it's it's maybe even like an imposter syndrome type thing. And uh, something that probably a lot of people have felt at some point in their life where, um, you know, they they're maybe given an opportunity that they're they feel underqualified to perform. And so, like, what do you do in that situation? But again, not not a very succinct list, but uh, just kind of a short list of, of various random thoughts. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fairly accurate. One thing that came to mind when you're talking about the expectations was obviously with uh, um, Alan Rickman's character. Right, like his kind of pivotal moment talking to the Thermian and when he finally kind of gives in to, I guess, his role. Um, yeah. Or kind of, I guess, accepts his role uh, and kind of says the line that he hates and has hated for a long time that he has to repeat to all the fans um, by, is it Grabthar's Hammer? I think it's like Grabthar. <laughs> yeah, by Grabthar's Hammer. Hammer. You will be avenged. I think yeah, you shall be avenged. I want to say, but dude, I I gotta say when he says it for real in that time, I felt a little spike of emotion. Yeah, you feel that like he actually means it. Um, yeah, he kind of takes up that mantle, that role that um, he's kind of been pushing off or not wanting to accept. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if that's like if maybe maybe that's expectations. Maybe that's um, more about yeah the roles we're supposed to play. But yeah. What about you? Was there any anything else maybe that 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 popped out for you? I mean, never give up, never surrender. Is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that does come up a lot, persistence, because um, there's a lot of times where these characters could have given up, and uh, they didn't. They never gave up, and they never surrendered. <laughs> yeah, even though they were unqualified, <laughs> washed yeah. up. You, you know, one thing I that I also liked about this movie was that, you know, in a lot of, like, multi character cast movies i feel like some characters just kind of are there and don't really do anything but i feel like every character really like played a part in this one and you know they actually each one for the most part had a relationship with another character in some way or another you know obviously you have uh, tim allen and alan rickman's character oh, i just realized tim allen and alan rickman both have allen in their name <laughs> um but the, you know they have that kind of Kirk Spock relationship, both as a as a character, but also as the actors in in a in a way, I guess. Um, and then you also have uh, Tony Shalhoub and the Thermian uh, woman, and they have like an intimate relationship. You have uh, Mathazar and and Nesmith, who or Tim Allen, who's like the two leaders of the aliens and the humans. Um, you also have. Dr. Lazarus and uh, and like the young Thermian who looks up to him, who he says the line. So it's like so much relationship building woven throughout the story. And it's not like bashing you over the head with it most of the time. Um, and I think that kind of really helped sell that these were characters that I should care about. Yeah, definitely. Like they did not. Uh, yeah, they did not kind of skimp out on building those relationships. They were all important, I think, and integral to the story. So, yeah, yeah just a great the job. Only- I think it's funny because maybe the the one that 
is shown off the most in the end is between Sigourney Weaver and Tim Allen and their relationship, which to me, it felt like that one had maybe like the, the least chemistry in the movie because they kind of call back to like maybe their days, their glory days on set. And then at the end, they have a big kiss. But that one actually is probably the one that landed the least for me. Yeah, it's kind of there, I guess, as just a generic maybe romance plot. But um, yeah, I think a lot of the other ones are built out so much better. I think then the other question that comes up a lot uh, with Galaxy Quest, because it's so beloved, uh, is should there be a sequel, right? Um, And I think there was at one point talks of it being made, and then Alan Rickman passed away, and uh, I think they kind of scrapped it because it wouldn't be the same without him. So at this point in time, like, should they make a sequel to Galaxy Quest? At this point, personally, I, I don't think they should, especially without Alan Rickman. Really, like the dynamic between Tim Allen and him on screen, you know, as their characters as well, was like the bread and butter of the magic of this movie. And so I think without him, like automatic no. And then just thinking about what the plot could even be, so much of this movie revolved around the fact that, you know, either they didn't know or the aliens didn't know like Thermians or the fans didn't know that, you know, all the stuff that was happening was real. And so taking that out, what do you have? You just have kind of like this B movie sci-fi plot or, um, or like a Star Trek ripoff. And I, I feel like you can't recapture that, uh, that magic or that lightning in the bottle. How about you? Definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, capturing lightning in a bottle is definitely hard to do twice. Um, and yeah, I think the way you kind of just said it is pretty accurate like um yeah without that irony uh it's a dramatic irony i don't really know my different ironies but, oh it's uh, like where someone knows what someone does yeah, I, yeah I'm or not like sure the audience either. knows what the characters don't right um i think that's dramatic irony if not oh well but uh without <laughs> that <laughs> like yeah you do lose a lot of like the main thing that made this movie funny and special so you'd have to find another way to either i guess like put the crew in a new situation where it's not just like being brought up by aliens who like don't realize it's fake um like they have to either know it's fake but they still have to go to them and so the best you could maybe do is have them be obviously super successful at the start but um with like the since they redid galaxy quest and like continued it on after at the end of the movie and they like rebooted i guess well yeah because this also you know it's been 22 years since this movie came out and so probably wouldn't be using the same cast and so I think uh, you would have to maybe do some sort of reboot or prequel. Yeah. But, you know, even or then. What if you did like a like a next generation thing where they there was like a new crew who is like more popular or something. Um, and then, I don't know, do like the aliens, like bring both of them up and like they have to fight each other. Um, that could be interesting. It, you wouldn't <laughs> have the dramatic irony, but you'd at least have. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have the dramatic. You'd have some drama, that's for sure. Um, so that's all, that's my pitch for a potential sequel, but I don't think they should do it. <laughs> I, I feel like maybe there's um, there's some room for like a Star Trek Lower Decks type thing, like some animated like uh, low uh, commitment series or like, you know, something that isn't taken too seriously. Main, try to maintain some of that comedy. The what if universe of Galaxy Quest. I, I was thinking something that could be fun is like if you had a show that took place on like an alien planet and in that universe, you know, they're looking at these historical documents and kind of what that leads to in the alien society. I don't think you could necessarily do that with Thermians because they're so weird. And so I think it would get, you know, really overdone, really 
uh, tiring to, to watch them, but, you know, maybe some other alien world. Oh, no, I can see that. Okay. So that, uh, I think, will take us to the science. Yeah, kind of the concepts and... Um... Yeah, I never. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what science to deal with, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of like narrowed it down a bit to maybe some of the more concepts that they maybe bring up in the film. Okay. Um, perfect. And so maybe it was a quick one that I thought was interesting to start with was a uh, kind of life imitating art, and right. So you have an alien species that builds something that's based off of a TV show, and I know you look today how much of our technology has kind of shown up in sci-fi first and we've kind of created them whether deliberately or trying to copy it or if it's just kind of like a, a you know, like a logical next step anyway so something like star trek with the communicators that they're kind of like cell phones right you could kind of say they're they're that um or the universal translators now we do have like uh, live translate transcription i think microsoft and google both have stuff for that and sometimes even uh like, they'll have a voice be able to speak it out, which I think you could probably do pretty easily on top of that. So you kind of, we've created universal translators to some degree. Um, and then other movies like Minority Report had personalized ads. Uh, oh, yeah. That came out in 2002. Social media has shown oh, us that, wow. like, we basically have personalized ads for everyone now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's, I think, like, a ton of cool stuff like that um, of just kind of life imitating the art that we've created. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept because it's so common as well but it, it makes sense you know art i think is is where people get creative and they think about the future and they think about what could be think about the things that are important to them and so i i think it it makes sense not only just from like a, a practical expense uh perspective in terms of like hey i dream this thing and you know maybe we can make it true but it also on like a personal level i think people can connect with stuff that uh, you know exists in art first and so I, I feel like that might drive adoption for, for that. I actually just read a headline today about, I think it's a video game publisher suing a, a gun manufacturing company because they, they made a gun that like was in this video game first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which maybe I wonder if that's kind of the first example of someone suing over kind of the creation like that. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe they have a bit more. Uh, if like they've yeah, created a different type of gun a gun design that they've copied exactly maybe that's more direct than like oh a cell phone is a communicator like right but um yeah that's interesting that people are now suing over <laughs> kind of creating the real world versions of uh of art yeah yeah that's a yeah it's it's an interesting one but i i think um that's something that will always be around as well like i i can't ever imagine life not imitating art to some extent i think when it comes to in our world, life, do, do, I guess this might be a really stupid question. So tell me if it is. But do you think life imitates art or art imitates life more often? I don't. Yeah. I don't know which one happens more often. Like, because I guess there's like the, there's the feedback loop where like they each feed into each other. Right. Right. I mean, we right, right. create art based off of our own experience. But then there's also some element of like uh, making stuff up and fictionalizing things. Which means, like, um, if I guess as we consume art, we, uh, what is it, like, personalize or um, internalize what we see and we kind of make it so that we think that that's how things should be. And right. so then we start, like, behaving in that way. Um, and so then, yeah, it kind of, like, just goes back into each other. So 
Yeah, I guess like it's kind of inseparable. Like it's hard to talk about them in a vacuum as well, because like you're right, they they both feed into each other. There's components of both in 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 all of it. So yeah, quite interesting. But all right, what else you got? Uh, well, let's start maybe talk about for a second the Thermians. And I just okay. want to like narrow something down because <laughs> uh, so the Thermians, their culture, like don't they don't tell I guess fictionalized stories. Mm-hmm. Um. Do they have the capacity to lie or make make things up or are they kind of um or yeah are they unable to tell a lie? I feel like they would probably be able to but I as a culture I don't think they had ever even been introduced to the concept of of deception because I think they and correct me if I'm wrong but I think they learned about the concept first from like Ceres. Yeah. I think they kind of mentioned that where Saris says one thing, but then does something else. And they're just so confused by it. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I think when I watch it, I sort of like say, okay, maybe they just can't lie. Um, which reminds me of the invention, the invention of lying, like the Ricky Gervais oh, movie. Uh, yeah. But uh, if that's the case, uh, do you think a life form could reach like intelligent life if they can't lie? And then what, I guess, to get into the definition of what is lying and what degree. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I think it really hinges on that definition. Because I think, you know, you even see in the animal world today, you know, animals will trick others or deceive others in order to to benefit themselves. And so it's it's hard to say whether an alien species could kind of get to that level of intelligence without deception. Because, you know, we, we only really have this sample size of one planet that we've seen intelligent life uh, arise on. But, you know, I, I, I personally, I think it would be hard <laughs> to get to that point. And maybe not even directly because of deception, but I feel like there's maybe um, like a, a level of thinking that's required when you kind of think, you know, two steps ahead, three steps ahead, and like having to think of, you know, a metagame or, um, or, or whatnot, which kind of involves all the different options of what could happen, which I would say is, is maybe... Um, a precursor to, to higher levels of thinking just uh, off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're kind of getting at or maybe touching on a bit is you know, like levels of abstraction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the YouTube channel, like Curse a Guest, just came out with a video today even um, kind of about that where we tell lies, like quote unquote lies all the time about uh, just in trying to simplify a concept down. So you say right. something that isn't technically true, but it's true enough to create the model that, that yeah. you can build off of. Uh, so whether it's um, something like our early definitions of like an electron and an atom and oh, the electron orbits around uh, the kind of nucleus right, and you have right, this right. number or whatever. It's like then you learn it's like, oh, it's not really like that. You kind of have these clouds or whatever probability. Yep. And then yep. that's just a different model. But even that isn't totally true. Yeah. It, it, that that's a good point and i i i guess maybe the on the flip side it's um we don't really know about the thermians origin either like perhaps they were manufactured by another intelligent race um and were uh limited in their capacity to to lie but given technology or something like that so potentially you know in this galaxy quest galaxy or, or universe um you know maybe it is possible but i would say if they're just naturally kind of evolving to that level, I'd say. Not very likely, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's a bias on our part since yeah. we're uh, yeah, totally. obviously an intelligent species, sample size of one, as you said. 
<laughs> as we are two huge liars. Yeah, this whole podcast. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's definitely like an interesting thing to think about. Um, this could lead into another discussion about um, historical documents. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, we are creating of sorts a historical document. Um, and whether the documents we make are fictional or whatever, um, I think there are a few different perspectives we can look at this from. So, yeah, the Thermians saw our transmissions from Earth and thought, oh, this is what they've created, I guess, if this is uh, their history. Um, and so you could look at it from that perspective in which the content that we make is true or something. Like, just if you assume everything's true, then there's, I guess, the opposite of, like, is any of it true at all, even the supposedly nonfiction stuff? Right, right, right. And then, yeah, I think there's, like, the third one, which would be uh, the things that are false that we kind of assume to be true anyway for, uh, yeah, kind of, like, myths and stuff that help build nations and all that. But... Yeah, well, it's a tough one. It really delves into the nature of truth itself. And when, you know, when we experience the world, we're always experiencing it through these filters of, you know, the, the limits of our own biology and our own um, subconscious processing. And so... I think, you know, just our knowing that our experience itself is not, quote unquote, the truth of what the world is, it really begs the question, you know, is there an actual absolute truth in this world? And like, can you describe that um, in a way that persists indefinitely and um, regardless of, of who is, is reading that or, or, or seeing that later on? Yeah. Right. And that's like, I guess, like a huge philosophical question, I think, that's been asked about for kind of since the dawn of man at least right um which is yeah if individual experience is subjective then yeah what exactly is truth but then there are the things i guess that we assume to be true anyway right like all the history that we supposedly know um and yeah i think there is is there merit in trying to document that as objectively as possible i guess like the most practical way to go about it is just to you know understand that everything is open to interpretation to an extent and that the people make mistakes or that you know not everything that is said is fact yeah i know i and i don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because <laughs> that's not what i'm saying as well but as a historian you know when you're finding graffiti from 2000 years ago you know you shouldn't just assume that hey this depicts a real event that took place and, you know, you can consider that maybe someone just wanted to draw something that they made up. Right. Yeah, I guess, like, there's uh, two things which would be, like, the things we find and, I guess, through archaeology or, like, even documents we've read. The historian has to, I guess, make a some sort of, like, assumption about it as to whether it's significant. Does it exactly, capture, yeah. yeah, like, that, whether it's that society or that culture? Um, was it actually important to them? Um and yeah, there's some sort of, I guess, editorialized choice that gets made as to what to include yeah. in the actual historical documents. Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of the day, I think the best thing that we can do, at least with historical documents, is a best guess based on the evidence that's available to us or the evidence that, you know, we know how to uh, actually get and look at and use. Um, and then putting that into context with everything else. Yeah. Yeah, And so if you're out there a thousand years from now listening to this, know that everything we're saying is 100% true. Uh, there's an interesting example of this, which was uh, for um, the author of Hamilton, which was like the, bio the biography that the musical is based on. 
Ron Chernow. He was the historian who kind of read it all about this. I think he personally admits, or at least you can tell in his writing, that he's a big fan of Hamilton. So, uh, like, Hamilton... Paints him in a good light. Yeah, he puts him in a good light, kind of gives him the benefit of the doubt, despite certain transgressions, or, um, yeah, we'll kind of say certain things about him and kind of maybe brush it off as, like, oh, it's probably not that bad. Um, yeah. I think even something like... Uh, so, yeah, I think there's, like, one story of him. Uh, Hamilton was, like, a huge abolitionist, right? He didn't mm-hmm. want... Uh, yeah, he would have preferred, I guess, if America had ended slavery right from the get-go. Um, yep. But within all his papers and stuff that he could find, there's like a case of Hamilton having, I think, like not necessarily bought a slave, but at least like handle the transaction of like the sale of a slave, possibly for mm-hmm. like I think Angelica Schuyler, and like oh, it kind of like somehow went from them to to the Schuylers, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like this interesting thing of like. I think Ron Chernow sort of says, okay, it's not maybe that big a thing. Like, he can still be an abolitionist while having this kind of transgression against him. Um, yeah. Where other people might kind of, if they don't like Hamilton or they have a different perspective, will be like, okay, well, no, that yeah. shows that he's not really a great abolitionist, actually. Um, right. And so, yeah, there's like this, yeah, that open to interpretation aspect of, of history. Yeah. And it's really, um, that, that, that's a great example. And I think uh, it really illustrates how context in understanding the context in which events happen and and in which historical documents are written is like super critical as well because i think just when you're talking about a specific thing you can make an argument for for either either side and you could probably also find evidence to support your argument as well um if you were to cherry pick it and so um man it's a it's tough job sussing out uh and and you know making those arguments to to a convincing degree definitely now, I have another example. It's kind of like an opposite example and probably very extreme, which is mm-hmm. about uh, a situation in which we read a story, right? And unlike the Thermians, we were like, oh, this is obviously fake. Um, this is just like a fiction, a tale that the Greeks like to tell, which yep. was, I think, the Iliad and the Battle mm-hmm. of Troy. Um, and for a long time, we actually thought that that was just completely fictionalized, um, just a made up thing. But as we were doing, I guess, like our archaeology and digging, um, we actually discovered the remnants of Troy, right? We actually saw this giant city, I guess, and it kind of made us second guess our like assumption of the story. And like now we actually say, oh, maybe parts of this are in fact kind of true. Yeah, it might have actually been a giant battle. um, Yeah, maybe Helen existed and all this. And uh, it's not just a myth um, like the rest of kind of the Greek pantheon of gods and goddesses. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, and I feel like um, some of the best uh, works of fiction do include, you know, truth in them. Like when you, I just imagine in hundreds of years, some historian or archaeologist coming across a copy of Inglorious Bastards and being like, World War Two, that didn't happen. <laughs> this is all fake. And then later on being like, hey, wait a second. Seems like some of some of this might be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could do that for anything, even uh like, I wonder for, the, I mean, like the modern day kind of pantheon, right? We could almost talk about like the Marvel and DC superheroes, like they're yeah. our kind of gods. Um, yeah. What of them will remain a thousand, two thousand years from now? And what will oh, people man. think that they saw like the Avengers or something? Will they be like, <laughs> yeah. or yeah, Captain America Civil War? Will they think like, well, did they actually fight? Or like, was there this giant battle in New York or? <laughs> 
Um, it's really mm-hmm. it's wild to think because we are like really biased temporarily to the period that we live in you know not just in because you know we're embedded in it and it's what we're used to but even in terms of the language that we speak like the people of the far future who are looking at these things they're not going to sound anything like us as well and they won't pick up on the same nuances and the same you know uh ways of, of speaking and communicating and, and, and sharing and making art that we do so it's like it's a, it's it's really I guess it's really fun to think about how, you know, all of this might be viewed in the future. Also, when you talk about just the persistence of art and media and and information, you know, now that so much of our information is digital, um, it's not really a, a great store long term of, of information. You know, like if you want to get something to last a long time, you should carve it into a rock and put it in a in like a, a dry, cold cave or something instead of, you know, having it on a, a magnetic disc. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, like, put it on vinyl or something. I'm like, ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it, I might, <laughs> this might be something that I'm also just making up right now, but I feel like I, I read somewhere or heard that, like, the entirety of Wikipedia is, like, being carved or laser etched into crystals or stones or something like that to preserve information. But <laughs> don't don't take my word for that. <laughs> I mean, or maybe we should just kind of create that myth whether it's happening or not and then they can (laughs) someone can search for the entirety of like human knowledge and then in 50 years there'll be like a reddit article today i learned that the myth came from a podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it does get into that aspect of like how do you preserve the knowledge as well right yeah i mean we only have what we can find so if the city of troy is covered up we forget about it and oh it's just a story so um yeah, like more recent history, we have maybe actual letters written between people. Um, now we actually have like the papers, everything is digitized and we can access it for now. But you know, yeah, the best way to preserve information, whether that's on vinyl or like I think film, uh, there's a huge push by certain filmmakers to preserve old movies and everything. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's separate. But it's It's pretty ironic that we're producing so much information on a daily basis as a species but you know it's it's not it's not going to be accessible or or readable i think um yeah in the future like a lot of it seems to be almost single use right yeah like throw away mm-hmm. from yeah like a tiktok video once you've kind of consumed it it's done you don't need it too much anymore yeah um even podcasts like i know people listen to podcasts over and over but for the majority, it's probably you listen to the thing the one time and then you're done with it. That's done, yeah. And yeah, I guess there's like a huge... The question is like, uh, we store all this stuff anyway. So what? how much can we actually physically store? And when do we start kind of saying, hey, how do you kind of sort out the trash from there? But, hmm. Well, I've seen um, that, you know, DNA itself is like a really um, efficient store of information as well and so you know maybe one day we'll be able to encode uh this podcast <laughs> into strands of dna that'll be fun that'll yeah be cool oh man then okay so i think yeah talking about all this historical documents truth there's like this other side um especially in like the film medium that i think is interesting because like the thermians believe what they see is real um and it reminds me of like how early films that we made were kind of meant to be magic tricks and uh, right like i think uh milieu uh, george milieu or i think um may 
he yeah like he made he was a magician and he used films to create a magic trick and kind of trick the audience into thinking that what they were seeing was real so he'd use like a simple cut where he'd cut the film and keep the camera still have the actor like leave frame um with like a smoke cloud and then he'd restart the film and they disappeared and if people didn't understand how the process worked then they kind of think it's still that he filmed something that the person disappeared right and so like they were like the medium that the Thermians are watching was kind of started as a magic trick or became popular as a magic trick. And even today, I think we use it for like suspension of disbelief where the modern day visual effects have to be fulfilling, I guess, realistic enough that we can be like, sure, I can believe that this is real and escape into it. Um, and that's exactly what the Thermians did, I guess. Yeah, that that is interesting. And I, I think also um, as a medium, uh, it could also be this this ability to trick people um, is also getting easier. Like when you look at things like deep fakes and and all that, both for for video and audio, and then also um, just you know it, it's 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 ability to be used for nefarious reasons. And so um, yeah, it's a it's it's kind of come full circle. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like if something is produced well enough and or sold by someone who's like passionate enough it can be seen as true it's like oh they wouldn't have put all this effort in if it weren't real or something um even though yeah if it's being used by a bad actor um right just saying something because they're angry and they are mad at the world uh as a network like it's like yeah it's like i'm mad and i'm not going to take it anymore or something like (laughs) um yeah it's like if you have some guy like that who wants to create something and has money to make something to kind of trick people and then yeah, that's unfortunate yeah. but you gotta keep your eyes out i don't think alexander dane would respect any bad actor no not at all <laughs> <laughs> and on that <laughs> if you have anything that, else you wanted to talk about one tiny topic probably not worth talking about because there's not much much content but we'll see it's the at one point they're trying to escape the uh, the ship of Ceres, and they fly into this magnetic minefield left over from like an old space war. Oh, right, right. And um, I just wanted to touch on like these magnetic mines, and like you know, is is that something that there's that that makes sense to have? Like it made for a cool little plot point as well. But um, I guess like it, it's reminiscent of depth charges to me from like World War Two. And when I was looking into it, it actually. <laughs> It was kind of interesting. Some of these depth charges, they actually had magnetic detonators that would detonate when like the magnetic field strength changed. And so that could be induced by like a submarine passing by. And so not necessarily like magnetic, like they're going to stick to the the sub or be attracted to it and blow up. But like, you know, kind of similar in concept. That's an interesting trigger, right? Like you have, I guess, some something that's made out of metal, right? And if you move metal, you can create a... Like, I guess, a exactly. ferromagnetic metal. Um, yep. Then, yeah, like, it would, uh, it creates, like, an electric field and, or a magnetic field that would then change it, which is kind of a cool trigger for that. That's cool. Um, yep. But, that was it. <laughs> yeah. I think the only thing would be, like, can you make a spaceship without any magnetic material oh, to avoid this thing? And that might be. Yeah, hard. I mean, yeah that's a good question like when when you start thinking about spaceship creation as well you know it's got to be able to accelerate and decelerate at like such a high magnitude and survive in the cold of outer space and so it's probably like 
some materials that you know we we don't have access to today in, in terms of like a spaceship of the the advanced level that we're talking about in galaxy quest and the thermians but um so so maybe may, maybe there's like ways that you could do it without you know metallic or, or magnetic components um but another one like thinking was you know they're going through this minefield they're probably traveling really fast so like how how effective would magnetic physically magnetic mines be mm-hmm. like but yeah like if they're stationary even if they're moving right like if you're moving in the other direction how quickly do they actually take on how strong do they have to be to be able to yeah hmm. all good questions for sure <laughs> but we'll have a, a full episode dedicated to this question <laughs> next week next week oh yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of research the last no, episode yeah, scratch that side mines five yeah mines how do they work so yeah next episode will be episode 22 and the 21st episode will just be lost and uh oh yeah <laughs> lost in history i'm sorry i don't know how we it was somewhere yeah, true true it, it's gonna really confuse all those future archaeologists yeah. <laughs> and digital archaeologists yeah I, I feel like it's already kind of started mm-hmm. yeah w- wikipedia is kind of one to some degree isn't there like a youtube channel like internet historian or something There's, i would believe it, it talks about like old, old memes or like uh, the origin of different stuff like that let's look it up it does look like there is an internet historian channel 3.29 million subscribers only 40 videos he's a professor of internet happenings so i think you're right yeah the start you have some historians that are talking about internet history nice Mm -hmm. and someday a historian will be talking about that person one day (laughs) all right so i think uh that's about it Mm -hmm. yeah i think so too Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like the show today, please share the show with your friends and follow us on social. We are at SciMinesFi on Instagram, and you can email us at SciMinesFi at gmail.com. You can send us suggestions for future episodes or any feedback you have for us. Uh, We kind of love to hear from you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm Nathan Yim. And I'm Christopher Stern. Until next time, hold hold on on to your your butts. butts.